part of the problem. She did not create the bill, nor has she signed it yet. It is hoped she will do the right thing. And Governor Mary Fallon, if you want to send her a letter, I'll read the address, or if you're in Oklahoma, I don't, if I have any listeners out in Oklahoma City or you know folks, go give her a visit. Uh, so Oklahoma State Capitol is at 2300 North Lincoln Boulevard, room 212 in Oklahoma City. I can send her a postcard even. Uh, it's Oklahoma City okay. 73105. Call on the phone, 405-521-2342. Again, that's 405-521-2342. Let your voice be heard. If you have a fax machine and you feel like sending a fax, why not do that? The fax number is 405-521-3353. And uh, then they have a quote from Susan B. Anthony, as there should be, I guess, in a lot of places. Uh, no self-respecting woman should wish or work for the success of a party that ignores her sex. And that's from 1872 long time ago. The debate over our right to choose what's best for our bodies and our future will most likely outlive us, but we fight because it's what our foremothers and forefathers did for us, and it's what we must do for our daughters and their daughters. It's been said in different ways that anti-choice legislation will never end abortions. They will only create unsafe abortions. Be sure we are hashtag not going back to the alley. And not going back is the only part of the hashtag to the alleys after that. Here are 13 large and small reproductive rights organizations and social media groups to visit slash support. They can offer information and or discussion about women's rights and laws against women. Uh, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, which I hugely support. I also support Planned Parenthood, but NARAL more so. Uh, Pro-Choice America. Now, National Organization for Women, uh, NAF, which is the National Abortion Federation, RH Reality, UniteWomen.org, Abortion.com. I'm glad that exists. Uh, Fight Laws Against Women, We Are Fuse, and that's F-U-S-E, Abigail Adams Brigade, Pro-choice liberals, stop patriarchy now, and Center for Reproductive Rights. Also, those last two, yes. Uh, the Guttmacher Institute is an excellent source of women's reproductive data and current legislation. Many thanks to Meteor Blades for reporting this news and for his continued pro-choice advocacy for women's reproductive rights. You can read the story here, and they have a link to that. And so we march on, and we are hashtag not going back. And you can find all the links to all these organizations on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev. I think it's time for some more music. There's another song that was performed, and it's kind of angry, but also has a nice uh, beat to it. So play this music, and then we'll be back with some more stories, some positive and some... We'll, we'll, we'll find ways to, to make it positive.
any song that mentions wearing sweatpants I think is great. That was, uh, the band's called Andrew Jackson Jihad, and the song's called Hate Rain On Me. Next, we're going to have a story from The Intercept, one of my favorite places to find news, and this is written by Glenn Greenwald, whom I used to call my boyfriend, jokingly. Uh, met him once, and I dig his writing, and that he questions uh, authority and uh, just really stands up for what's happening what's going on so this comes from the intercept and you can find that at theintercept.com uh, new study shows mass surveillance breeds meekness fear and self-censorship amen to that and i think that's kind of like what a lot of us already knew and this uh just explains that a little bit more and extrapolates uh some more ideas behind that and why that is and this came out on april 28th that was yesterday all right. A newly published study from Oxford's John Penny provides empirical evidence for a key argument long made by privacy advocates, that the mere existence of a surveillance state breeds fear and conformity and stifles free expression. Reporting on the study, the Washington Post this morning described this phenomenon. If we think that authorities are watching our online actions, we might stop visiting certain websites or not say certain things just to avoid seeming suspicious. The new study documents how, in the wake of the 2013 Snowden revelations, of which 87% of Americans are aware, there was a 20% decline in page views on Wikipedia articles related to terrorism, including those that mentioned Al-Qaeda, car bomb, or Taliban. People were afraid to read articles about those topics because of fear that doing so would bring them under a cloud of suspicion. The dangers of that dynamic were expressed well by Penny. If people are spooked or deterred from learning about important policy matters like terrorism and national security, this is a real threat to proper democratic debate. As the Post explains, several other studies have also demonstrated how mass surveillance crushes free expression and free thought. A 2015 study examined Google search data and demonstrated that, post-Snowden, users were less likely to search using search terms that they believed might get them in trouble with the U.S. government, and that these results suggest that there is a chilling effect on search behavior from government surveillance on the Internet. The fear that causes self-censorship is well beyond the realm of theory. Ample evidence demonstrates that it's real and rational. A study from PEN, Pen, America writers found that one in six writers had curbed their content out of fear of surveillance and showed that writers are not only overwhelmingly worried about government surveillance, but are engaging in self-censorship as a result. Scholars in Europe have been accused of being terrorist supporters by virtue of possessing research materials on extremist groups, while British libraries refused to house any material on the Taliban for fear of being prosecuted for material, material support for terrorism. There are also numerous psychological studies demonstrating that people who believe they are being watched engaged in behavior far more compliant, conformist, and submissive than those who believe they are acting without monitoring. That same realization served centuries ago as the foundation of Jeremy Bentham's panop panopticon that behaviors of large groups of people can be effectively controlled through architectural structures that make it possible for them to be watched at any given moment, even though they can never know if they are in fact being monitored, thus forcing them to act as if they are always being watched. The same self-censoring chilling effect of the potential of being surveyed was also the crux of the tyranny about which Orwell warned in 1984. 
There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment, how often, or on what system. The thought police plugged in on any individual wire was guesswork. It was even conceivable that they watched everybody all the time. But at any rate, they could plug in your wire whenever they wanted to. You had to live, did live, from habit that became instinct, and the assumption that every sound you made was overheard, and except in darkness, every movement scrutinized. This is a critical, though elusive, point which, as the Post notes, I've been arguing for years, including in the 2014 TED Talk I gave about the harms of privacy erosions. But one of my first visceral encounters with the har this harmful dynamic arose years before I worked on NSA disclosures. It occurred in 2010, the first time I ever wrote about WikiLeaks. This was before any of the group's most famous publications. What prompted my writing about WikiLeaks back then was a secret 2008 Pentagon report that declared the then little-known group a threat to national security and plotted how to destroy it. A report which, ironically enough, was leaked to WikiLeaks, which then published it online. Shortly thereafter, WikiLeaks published a 2008 CIA report describing, precisely it turns out, how the best hope for maintaining popular European support for the war in Afghanistan would be the election of Barack Obama as president, since he would be a pretty popular progressive face on war policies. As a result of that 2008 report, I researched WikiLeaks and interviewed its founder, Julian Assange, and found that they had been engaging in vital transparency projects around the world, from exposing illegal corporate waste dumping in East Africa to political corruption and official lies in Australia. But they had one significant problem. Funding and human resource shortfalls were pre preventing them from processing and publishing numerous leaks. So I wrote an article describing their work and recommended that my readers support that work either by donating or volunteering, and I included links for how they could do so. In response, a large number of American readers expressed in emails in the comment section at private events, I'm sorry, at public events, the fear to me that while they support WikiLeaks work, they were petrified that supporting them would cause them to end up on a government list somewhere, or worse, charged with crimes if WikiLeaks ended up being formally charged as a national security threat. In other words, these were Americans who were voluntarily relinquishing core civil liberties, the right to support journalism they believe in and to politically organize, because of fear that their online donations and work would be monitored and surveyed. Subsequent revelations showing persecution and surveillance against WikiLeaks and its supporters, including an effort to prosecute them for their journalism, proved that these fears were quite rational. There is a reason governments, corporations, and multiple other entities of authority crave surveillance. It's precisely because the possibility of being monitored radically changes individual and collective behavior. Specifically, that possibility breeds fear and fosters collective conformity. That's always been int intuitively clear. Now, there is mounting empirical evidence proving it. Hmm. And I guess there'd be a pen drop, not a mic drop, but a pen drop because ugh, that's that's there. Okay, so this kind of go, goes along with it. I can't. I mean, sometimes I find when I do segues with these stories, it's kind of easy. Uh, it's it's tricky because a lot of times I don't want to read these stories, and uh, I still choose to because. Uh, people, not everyone has a chance to share their voice and to share their stories and what's happening with them. So the very least uh, one can do is, is, is share what's happening to them and get the word out. 
This comes from Boing Boing, which is a cool site to check out. They have a lot of good articles on there. I've been checking them out for a few years now, and this is by Cory Doctorow. And this came out uh, Wednesday, April 13th. Te in Texas, prisoners whose families maintain their social media presence face 45 days in solitary. Texas. Oh. And I know some folks from Texas who are in Texas. I visited once. Uh... Seriously, this, this, uh, the state. Uh, okay. All right. I, I don't have anything to add to that. I'm just, I'm just going to read the story. I have a smile on my face uh, uh, because that will help me get through this massive, massive injustice happening. And it's always intriguing. That's one thing about this, this uh, show. I end up finding new ways for people to be cruel to one another and to hurt one another. That's not, I'd rather it be the opposite. Like, let's find new ways for people to help each other and to uplift one another. That would be nice. Maybe I'll find some stories on that. So according to a new offender manual from Texas Department of Criminal Justice, prisoners whose families maintain a social media presence to call attention to their incarceration will be liable to harsh punishment, including up to 45 days in solitary, loss of privileges, and extra work duty. That's another reason I want to get rid of prisons. Oh. Mm. EFF does not oppose prison restrictions that target criminal behavior or harassment on social media by inmates. <coughs> get to that point of the show where I'm starting to lose my voice. All right. <clears throat> on social... Okay. Da -da -da -da. Starting again. I'm going to drink some water first because that's going to help the situation. That's going to That's going to That's going to help the situation quite a bit. All right. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have some water first and take a little bit of a a mini break. It's not really a break if you're listening because uh, I'm still here. I'm talking. What else can I say? It's a it's a good day here in uh, in San Francisco. Mm. There's a big protest. Donald Trump is in town, and by in town, I mean in Burlingame. And a lot of folks showed up to protest, which is awesome. So hopefully we'll have some clips of that for next time on the show. A lot of folks uh, standing up against him. Not a fan. Oh, I got a quick story to tell that'll break the tension. Is there tension? No, probably just some sadness. Uh, so there's a... Uh, I was going to say operation, but it's a, it's a project called the Young Storytellers Foundation. And I've volunteered with them a number of times. And they have kids um, write plays. And they, the kids all have mentors, and they, they write plays together. And then they cast actors. And it's a very, it's kind of a quick, they, they take time to write the plays, but then they do the, the casting very quick. So we kind of show up, showed up at like 9. And then they, we do a very brief audition, which pretty much just we go up in front of the kids and say, I can do this. So some people are more physical. Some people are more like theatrically trained. I went up this time and was like, oh, I can play male or female characters because gender is fluid. And you know I like to get that message out there to the young folks, because um, I feel like I would have appreciated that when I was young. Um, although I think, think now it's, things have gotten a lot more, uh, in most places, kids are a lot more aware of the options as far as gender conformity goes and how one can rebel against that and how it's all an illusion. Anyway, so we do that little brief thing and then they cast us in, in their plays and um, there were some really cool plays. It was really cool. Um, one I was in, it was a, uh, about, there's this kid like going from like a pink cloud to a blue cloud and they end up combining it so it's purple. That's... I'm not doing it justice, but it was really awesome. It was really just kids are right on. And then there's another one where they're they're like trying to save the the world from this like really evil guy named Bill. Uh, spoiler alert. And I end up playing Bill, and I have one line, and it's like I kind of walk on stage, and it's like tall guy with blonde hair. So not me, but I was cast as this person. And he goes up, and he's like, I'm not really Bill. I'm Donald Trump. And then he gets like he has like this 
cannon that like releases farts, and then it gets like b- it uh, backfires on him. So he gets so Donald Trump gets covered in farts, and that was awesome. And so it was fun to be able to play that role. I don't necessarily see myself as a Trump-esque person, um, but it was awesome just to be like to inhabit this like jerk. Because um, I th- do think he's a huge jerk, and his father was a jerk, and his grandfather was a jerk. It just kind of runs in the family, I guess. And uh, the kids have this like, you know, really great reaction to it. So it was awesome to be able to be like, I'm playing this guy named Bill, who's really Donald Trump, who's a jerk, and to to see him be the the butt of a joke and to to not win. I like that. I like people who are mm, who are, you know, cruel and kind of. And entice people to hate and to and be divisive and are mean and uh, just very really divisive and oppressive when when they don't get their way. I think that's great. And if had it happened more often in history, hey, things would be a lot better off for all of us. All right. So now that I'm in a better mood, let's let's get me to a worse mood. Not a worse mood, but you know, here we go. So we're gonna read the story. How did I get on the? Oh yeah, the, the Trump protests. So that's great that people are protesting that. Can't say ding dong jerk. Well, he's a jerk. He's a jerk. And again. Ideally, I like to live in a world where one can just uplift. Like, I like to uplift people instead of putting people down. However, when there are people who are causing a lot of harm, they need to be called out for what they are. So, speaking of people being called out for what they are, let's see what these guys in Texas are doing. Guys. I'm assuming they're guys. I'm assuming they're men, because men cause a lot of problems. That's an assumption. And, uh... Tell me, uh, I'd like to see someone disagree with me about that. We'd have a discussion, but I think I'd be right. All right. EFF does not oppose prison restrictions that target criminal behavior. I'm going to start from the beginning. because All right. According to a new offender manual from Texas Department of Criminal Justice, prisoners whose families maintain a social justice, social, nope, social media presence to call attention to their incarceration will be liable to harsh punishment, including up to 45 days in solitary, loss of privileges, and extra work duty. EFF does not oppose prison restrictions that target criminal behavior or harassment on social media by inmates. However, a person does not lose all their rights to participate in public discourse when they are incarcerated. Supporters of inmates often use social media to raise attention about prison conditions and the appeal uh, campaigns of individual prisoners. This policy would not only prohibit the prisoners' exercise of their First Amendment rights, but also prevent the public from exercising their First Amendment rights to gather information about the criminal justice system from those most affected by it. If Martin Luther King Jr. had written letter from a Birmingham jail today from a Texas prison, this policy would prohibit his wife from publishing it on his social media accounts. As EFF previously reported, policies like these have been abused by prisons across the country, most notably in South Carolina. Man, South Carolina, for a while, the state was doing well. You you guys decided not to do the the anti-trans bathroom bill, and now here you go again, just getting yourself into more trouble. All right, most notably in South Carolina, where inmates sometimes received more than a decade in solitary confinement for maintaining a presence on social media? Fuck that! Ah! Jesus, that's sick. Oh, and that's the end of the article. So, all right, it's 114, and that's that's what got me. I always find a moment in the show, not always, but quite often, where I just lose it, and I f- just, just despair, full of lots of despair. Oh, that's so sickening. Um, all right, here's something else. All right, this also comes from a super mainstream source, but the idea of this happening, I feel, is worth being discussed. AP Newsbreak, South Dakota tribe sues feds over ER closure. 
and this was written by Regina Garcia Cano, and this came out um, yesterday, April 28th. It's from Sioux Falls. A Native American tribe in South Dakota sued the federal government Thursday over the nearly five-month closure of the only emergency room on its reservation. The federal lawsuit filed Thursday by the Rosebud Sioux Tribe asks that federal officials be forced to reopen the emergency room at the hospital administered by the Indian Health Service. The agency shuttered the ER in early December, two weeks after federal inspectors uncovered serious failures that they said put patients' lives at risk. The lawsuit, which the Associated Press obtained ahead of it being filed, contends that the Indian Health Service, an arm of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, broke the law because an evaluation of the impact of the closure wasn't submitted to Congress at least a year before it was shut down, as required by the Indian Health Care Improvement Act. That evaluation must include several factors, including the quality of health care that would remain after such a closure, as well as the views of the tribe affected. It also requires the government to take into account how far tribal members would have to go to get care. IHS provides free health care to enroll tribal members as part of the government's treaty obligations to Native American tribes. 35-bed Rosebud Hospital has nearly 13,000 emergency room visits during the fiscal year that ended in September, or had nearly 13,000 emergency room visits during the fiscal year that ended in September. Since since the December 5th closure, patients have had to go to hospitals about 50 miles away in Valentine, Nebraska and Winter, South Dakota. The lawsuit alleges that in six weeks following the emergency rooms shut down, five people died and two babies were born in ambulances on the way to the nearest hospitals. IHS's decision has caused the tribe and its members immediate and irreparable injury, according to the lawsuit, which lists as defendants the federal government, the Health and Human Services Department, and Secretary Sylvia Burwell, IHS, and its top official, Mary Smith, and the director of the IHS's, IHS's regional office, Rear Admiral, Admiral? Um, Kevin Meeks. A spokeswoman for the Department of Health and Human Services said Thursday that the agency does not comment on pending uh, litigation. Former U.S. Attorney from North Dakota, Timothy Purden, who left that office a year ago to specialize in American Indian law for Minneapolis-based Robbins Kaplan, has said his company is taking the case free of charge. The emergency room came under scrutiny in mid-November during an unannounced visit from inspectors from the Centers uh, for Medicare and Medicaid Services, who concluded that serious deficiencies threatened the lives of patients. Their report noted one patient with a history of untreated tuberculosis who was treated without any apparent infection control measures being taken. Another patient who was having a heart attack didn't get treatment until 90 minutes after she arrived. IHS closed the emergency room, citing staffing changes and limited resources and now intends to privatize it as well as those at hospitals on the Winnebago Winnebago Reservation in in Nebraska and Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. The lawsuit comes one day before the deadline for IHS and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to reach a last chance agreement to address problems at Rosebud Hospital. Without it, the hospital won't be allowed to bill the government for services provided to Medicare and Medicaid-eligible patients after May 16th. The Indian Health Service, whose facilities bill Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance for care given to patients who have had who have that coverage, historically has been severely underfunded. 
The tribe's lawyers are asking the U.S. District Court in Rapid City to require IHS to take sufficient measures to ensure health services are provided to tribal members. The lawyers argue that there is no rational basis or justification for the federal government to provide grossly inadequate health care to members of the tribe at levels that are substantially below and unequal to health care benefits given to federal inmates and others for whom it is required to provide health care. So once again, the folks who have been in this on this land for centuries uh, still being fucked with by the government. That's my synopsis, and glad that the folks are, are fighting back. Oh, and with with that, uh, not with that, and uh, I think it's time for a music break to, to cleanse the palate, as it were, and I think it's probably time for some more Prince, because we've only played one Prince song today. And <laughs> Pam is nodding in agreement, and that makes me feel good. So... Uh, what are some good ones? We played a lot of them last last week, um, and I like playing ones I don't hear that often. There's there's so many. He was so prolific and wrote so many, and I like finding new ones that I haven't heard before. Um, here's one called Party Man. I don't think I've heard it, so we're gonna play it, and it's gonna rock. And then we'll be back with some more news.
This is how you make wheat paste. It's one part flour to four parts water. Boil three cups of water and mix one cup of water with the one cup of flour. You add your mixture and you stir slowly. Stir it until you get a nice thick consistency. Let your wheat paste cool down and then pour it into a separate bucket. Using your brush, apply wheat paste onto the wall first, then apply your image, and then do a second coat of wheat paste on top of your image, 
And run away if you see cops now. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, welcome back. Uh, that was our original with uh, how to make wheat paste. So folks went to create art and put it up. Uh, that's an awesome way to, to go about doing it. And before that was Prince with Party Man, a song I hadn't heard before. Definitely uplifting, and that's wonderful. Um, I, I, sometimes we end up on e- email. I want to speak for myself. End up on email lists. I don't know how this happens. I was on a lot of. I'm on a lot of Bernie Sanders email lists. Like I agree with a lot of what he says. I don't remember ever signing up for anything related to him. And then now it's. I'm on a lot of mailing lists. But still, I find it's like every day he's like in my mailbox. And I'm like, okay. Uh, same with Jill Stein. Although I do, I, I am have been a registered Green Party person at points. Uh, I think I still am. Um, so anyway, I get lots of uh, emails from Jill Stein. And for folks who aren't aware, she's also running for president. There's more than just uh, the two parties, of course. And so Jill's running on the Green Party, uh, the Green Party ticket, and she's very much for super much most things I agree with, uh, which would make you know. Uh, demilitarizing everyone and everywhere and giving money for education and protecting the environment and a lot of and like a lot of money for healthcare, just pretty much things that protect people and the planet so i'm going to read an email she sent recently uh dear roman obviously not just to me but that's what it starts with uh the 2016 primary season is exposing a crisis of democracy in america the prevalence of voter suppression from voters forced to stand in line for five hours in arizona to over 100,000 voters purged from the rolls in new york is inexcusable meanwhile in north carolina a federal judge has upheld new voting restrictions including a voter id law that will disproportionately block poor and minority voters from the polls it's no secret that reducing voter turnout benefits the political establishment. It's time to bring real democracy to America by eliminating unfair barriers to voting and ensuring every vote counts. Join my call to establish a constitutional right to vote today. It may surprise you that the U.S. Constitution does not explicitly guarantee our right to vote. That's why establishing an explicit constitutional right to vote is critical to overcoming voter suppression. Across the country, we see people who do everything they're supposed to, yet their votes are not counted due to the negligence of election officials. All too often, these disenfranchised voters are disappeared from official election results with no legal recourse. An explicit constitutional right to vote would empower Americans to challenge systemic voter suppression and restore the integrity of our elections. If you're concerned about the wave of voter suppression, add your voice to the call to establish a constitutional right to vote. Voter suppression issues in state after state are symptomatic of an electoral system designed to prop up the establishment political parties. We see the same pattern everywhere that partisan appointees control the electoral process, the establishment gains power, and the voters lose power. It's time to take control of elections away from the parties and put them in the hands of the people through independent citizen boards in charge of everything from voter registration to redistricting. It's also past time to discard the obsolete uh, first-past-the-post voting system and adopt improved voting systems already used successfully around the world. The current voting system has most voters feeling trapped between two parties that are growing more and more out of touch with the American people. 
with polls showing record unpopularity <laughs> uh, with polls showing record unpopularity for the Democratic and Republican frontrunners, we're facing the repugnant prospect of a general election where more votes are voting against what they fear than are voting for what they believe in. We can solve the lesser evil dilemma in a heartbeat by anarchy. No, she didn't say that. We can solve the lesser evil dilemma in a heartbeat by enacting ranked choice voting, which ensures that if your first choice doesn't win, your vote is automatically reassigned to your second choice, freeing voters to support the candidates they most agree with. And to bring real democracy to the United States, we need proportional representation, which gives you the freedom to vote for the representation you want, knowing that it's what you'll get. Countries with proportional representation, which includes most Western democracies, have significantly higher voter turnout because people are more likely to participate in democracy when they know their voice will be represented, even when they're in the minority. All of these reforms, proportional representation, ranked choice voting, independent election boards, and more, would move America closer to real democracy and help break the grip of the elite special interests who have hijacked our government. But it all starts with fighting back against voter suppression, and the best way to do that is with an explicit constitutional right to vote. Sign and share my call for a constitutional right to vote today. By standing together in our fundamental right to vote, we can build an unstoppable movement for an America and a world that works for all of us. It's in our hands! Jill Stein. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, if you go to... I haven't posted this yet. I'm going to post it right now. Um, you can sign. I signed. Uh, that's one one way to help. I, I'm definitely skeptical. I'm not gonna lie. I'm skeptical of the whole voting thing. Even if, I mean, even the fact that like Jill is on the ballot, the idea that folks on the third party don't have as much uh, say in the media. Even Bernie Sanders, who's like running in, on the Democratic Party. Oh, that's another story we'll get to. So I'm not a member of any of the Bernie groups. A lot of my friends are. I like my Facebook feed for the most part. It's like, Bernie, 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 Bernie. So some Hillary, there's definitely some Hillary supporters there. There's some Jill Stein supporters. And then there's like anarchists who are like, fuck the whole system. And I'm like, cool. Um, but there are Bernie Sanders groups that Facebook decided to like, uh, cancel or just like get rid of and apparently it's from the hillary like pack like hired people to spam these groups with pornography and friends of mine have reported this so this comes like first-hand information first-hand second-hand information but people i know and trust have said that they received like people were spamming these groups with porn and so then people would report them to the facebook uh, and so Facebook had to take down these groups. And so like hundreds of thousands of organizers and Bernie supporters were then had their, uh, their communication restricted on Facebook. And that's pretty gross. That's really, really gross. Um, so with that being said, I'll, I'll add the Jill Stein thing in a bit when I can multitask. I can multitask, but I feel if I add it right now, I'm not going to be giving the, the show my full attention. So you can also just check out, uh, you can, where can you check it out? Uh, you can go to, what's the official, the official place to find Jill Stein? I would guess Green Party. I guess you type in Jill Stein, um, Jill 2016. Um, yes. Jill2016.com. There we go. Problem solved. Jill2016.com. Uh, Jill Stein for president. Uh, a new society. A new economy. Hashtag, it's in our hands. And uh, 
she also is inviting Sanders to cooperate on political revolution and real democracy, which is pretty badass. A lot of the times, the, the folks are running against each other, and there's a lot of, like, people are attacking one another, and it's like, if everyone really wanted a better world, it'd be like, let's all learn how to work together and, you know, share our resources. And instead, it's a lot of people just fighting with one another, and that's gross and childlike and dumb and very regressive and reductive and ugh. it's like i don't want any of that so i it would be great if if bernie were to hop on board with jill stein and if they could collaborate and share their resources and share their followers because they stand for a lot of the same things um so i'll read a little bit from her page since i'm at her page why not Americans deserve real solutions for the economic, social, and environmental crises we face, but the broken political system is only making things worse. It's time to build a people's movement to end unemployment and poverty, avert climate catastrophe, build a sustainable, just economy, and recognize the dignity and human rights of every person. The power to create this new world is not in our hopes, it's not in our dreams, it's in our hands. Um, support Jill Stein's people-powered campaign. You can donate if you if you want to, and if you're able to, join with thousands of your neighbors to build the momentum for real change. Support Jill Stein's people-powered campaign today. Anything you give will be matched dollar for dollar by federal matching funds. Let's read about why she's running, uh, why Jill is running for president with the Green Party. Oh, it's pretty much what I just read. Uh, we are being battered by unemployment and inequality. Da -da 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 -da. Yep, that's exactly it. So. That's that's her platform, and uh, hard to find fault in that. And I can find fault in a lot of things. <laughs> I'm a bit of a cynic. I'm an optimist and a cynic. So that's great. So Target, I'm not into businesses, big corporations at all. However, when they stand up for good things, I, I think that's great. I'm not encouraging anyone to go to Target or to give them any more money. However, they have said that they are going to make sure that all trans folks have access to bathrooms, which should be a common sense thing. However, since they've said this, um, people are like gonna boycott Target now, and it's, ugh, it's so people are so dumb, 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 dumb. Um, so this is from All Out, which is an LGBTQ uh, organization, and I'll read a little bit about this. It's just dumb stuff. Yeah, I don't, I almost don't want to give them any airtime because I don't even want to talk about them. Um, but I appreciate it when businesses, even though I don't like big businesses, I don't like big corporations when they do the right thing, which is common sense. So I'm not even gonna read it. So you know that's. Uh, and I would imagine most listeners of the show um, are not uh, going to go out and be overtly transphobic and in the face, you know, be like, that That would not make sense to me. Although, stranger things have happened, but uh, there we go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well... Okay, first of all, there's two things to know about this. Uh, I'm on, okay, back in the day, back in the early 2000s, I've repressed a lot of this for the years 2000 to 2008. It might have been because there were some people in the White House and people pulling the strings in the White House that made things terrible. So part of me wants to forget that existed. And I remember I wrote a letter to him, to Ding Dong W, that was like, don't, this is before they went to war. And there's like a lot of folks who were like, don't go to war, don't go to war, don't go to war. And I got a letter back that was like, oh, we have to protect the Iraq people and I was like shut the fuck up anyway so the world can't wait was one of these organ political organizations that was like very much against all that stuff happening and I guess I haven't changed my name because the the email is addressed to my old name and my old email address which I still get uh, so that's disturbing in some regards. Um, but then they're saying that Bernie Sanders told MSNBC's Chris Hayes that he supports Obama sending 250 more troops into Syria 
Um, do you think what's being done now is constitutional and legal? Hayes asked Sanders, noting the existence of a list of people that the U.S. government wants to kill. In general, I do. Yes, Sanders replied. In three months, both the ruling class parties will convene to pick the next commander-in-chief. They're making preparations to sell wars of aggression, continued vast surveillance of whole populations, the whole catastrophe of empire. These unjust, immoral, illegitimate wars need to be opposed, especially when the eyes of the world are concentrated on these conventions. If you want to be involved in protests at the Republican convention in Cleveland, July 15th through the 18th, or the Democrats convention in Philadelphia, July 25th to the 28th, contact us. And they have a way you can contact them. Again, this is from uh, the world can't wait! Exclamation point. Stop the crimes of your government. Uh, hidden costs of the U.S. air war in Syria. There are near total silence. There is near total silence when U.S. bombs kill civilians in Iraq or Syria. Uh, Nicholas J. S. Davies, author of *Blood on Our Hands: The American Invasion and Destruction of Iraq*, writes on the outrage continuing in Syria as the U.S. increases troops there. At the very least, U.S. airstrikes have killed hundreds of civilians in Mosul, as well as destroying much of the civilian infrastructure that people depend on for their lives in already dire conditions. And yet, this is, by all accounts, the only, only the beginning of the U.S.-Iraqi campaign to retake Mosul. USA Today reported on April 19th that U.S. air forces bombing Syria and Iraq have been operating under new, looser rules of engagement since last fall. The war commander, Lieutenant General Sean McFarland, now orders airstrikes that are expected to kill up to 10 civilians without prior approval from the U.S. Central Command, and U.S. officials made it clear to USA Today that U.S. airstrikes are killing more civilians as a result of the new rules. Under these new rules of engagement, the U.S. has constructed has conducted a major escalation of its bombing campaign against Mosul, an Iraqi city of about 1.5 million people, which has been occupied by Islamic State since 2014. Reports of hundreds of civilians uh, killed in U.S. airstrikes reveal some of the human cost of the U.S. air war and the new rules of engagement. Oof. Okay. Next. Washington civilian kill list in Afghanistan. Drone whistleblowers step out of the shadows. In Washington's drone wars, collateral damage comes home. And this is also from World Can't Wait. Uh, Pretap. Uh, Pratap uh, Chatterjee writes about recent films on the U.S. drone war, including National Bird. Sometimes I'm so sad that my heart wants to explode, an Afghan man says, speaking directly into the camera. When your body is intact, your mind is different. You are content. But the moment you are wounded, your soul gets damaged. When your leg is torn off and your gait slows, it also burdens your spirit. The speaker is an unarmed victim of a February 2010 drone strike in Urugz Ruzgan, Afghanistan, but he could just as easily be an Iraqi, a Pakistani, a Somali, or a Yemeni. He appears in National Bird, a haunting new documentary film by Sonia Kennebec about the unexpected and largely unrecorded devastation Washington's drone wars leave in their wake. In it, the audience hears directly from both drone personnel and their victims. National Bird features whistleblowers who have not been public before. When the president and his key officials look at the drone program, they undoubtedly don't see women and children. Instead, they are caught up in a Hollywood-style vision of imminent danger from terrorists and the kind of salvation that a missile launched from thousands of miles away provides. It is undoubtedly thanks to just... It is undoubtedly thanks to just this thought process, already deeply embedded in the American way of war, not that a single candidate for president in 2016 has rejected the drone program. That is exactly what whistleblowers feel needs to change. 
I just want people to know that not everybody is a freaking terrorist and we need to just get that out of the mind. We, we need to just get out of that mindset. And we just need to see these people as people, families, communities, brothers, mothers, and sisters, because that's who they are, says Lisa, a former army nurse. Imagine that this was happening to us. Imagine if our children were walking outside of the door and it was a sunny day and they were afraid because they didn't know if today was the day that something would fall out of the sky and kill someone close to them. How would we feel? And they also have uh, one more. Who is still held at Guantanamo? Because that's still happening. <sighs> Again, not sarcastic, but just angry. Uh, because people wrote to ask who is still in Guantanamo, we are sharing Andy Worthington's list of up of the 80 prisoners still held, almost all of them without charges. Fuck. And you can check this out at closeguantanamo.org. Um, this is from uh, Deborah Sweet, who is the director of World Can't Wait. Man, oh, so that's really... I think there's a lot of folks who thought, oh, Obama's in office and now everything's going to change. And granted, there are things that were in the works before he took office. Um, however, there's a lot of us who are very much like, oh, as long as the system is still in place, a lot of these things are going to continue. And he'd said he was going to close Guantanamo and that hasn't happened. And now there's 80 people who are still there. And imagine if that was someone that you knew and someone that you loved. And imagine if that was you even to be imprisoned without having any any say in in your your life. And that goes back to the beginning of the program with talking about folks even sent to jail for, for growing marijuana, growing a beautiful plant that's medicine. And uh, the idea that folks can be sent to prison and kept there is just really gross. And uh, it would be nice if we lived in a world where that wasn't the case and we lived in the country. I would love to live in a country where like that wasn't, there wasn't weren't jails anywhere. Um, but there are new kids, new babies being born all the time in this country, and they're being born into a country and into a world where prisons are still a thing and people are kept unjustly. And if we don't speak up about it, then we're part of the problem. I really do feel that way. So I'm going to... I was going to also read about the Middle East. We're running low on time. We'll get to Guantanamo, and we'll, we'll see what much we can fit in. Um, so the, if you go to the closeguantanamo.org page, uh, you can... Read more information. 779 prisoners have been held by the U.S. military at Guantanamo since the prison opened on January 11, 2002. Of those, 689 have been released or transferred. One was transferred to the U.S. to be tried, and nine have died, the most recent being Adnan Latif in September 2012. 80 men are still held, and 26 of these men have been recommended for release by high-level governmental review processes. To join the campaign for the prisoner's closure in 2016, see the countdown to close Guantanamo and the photos of celebrities and members of the public from around the world. 157 of the 779 prisoners have been released under President Obama, and although no prisoners were released for 15 months from January 2011, two Uyghur, um, Uy uh, prisoners, Muslims from China's Xing, Xinjiang uh, province, were released in April 2012. Another man, Ibrahim Al-Khosi, was given a two-year sentence after a plea deal in January in July 2010, was released in July 2012. And in September 2012, Omar Khadr, a former child prisoner, was transferred to Canada to serve the rest of his sentence. He negotiated as part of a plea deal in October 2010. Ugh. And so if you go to the list, you can uh, see there's just more and more people. 
um, that is extremely depressing and upsetting, and it's it's still happening. And pretending it's not happening isn't going to change anything. So if you go to Close Guantanamo, if you care about this and want to take action or at least spread the word, um, go to closeguantanamo.org. <sighs> this is the world that we live in, so we have to change it. We have to, we have to, we have to. I'll do a show plug. <sighs> That's not a great transition at all. But, uh, or I should say and. Yes, and. Um, so tomorrow, there's going to be a show at the up in Fairfield that I will be uh, taking part in. And, oh, there's another thing. I'm, okay, I'll get to that afterwards, or after this, this great show plug. And this is going to be happening... Um, oh, there's so many great things I was going to share. Oh, I'll get to it. I'm just finding all the information for the show tomorrow. <coughs> Excuse me. So a lot of folks will be performing. And... Um, yeah, we're getting there. Did I post it? I thought I did. This is at the Solano um, Pride Center, and the show is happening tomorrow night, I believe at 7 p.m. A lot of folks are performing. Uh, Samson McCormick, Jesus You Better Work, Ash Fisher, uh, Jess Morgan, and myself. Oh, here we go. Are performing. This is at 7 p.m., and it's at the Solano Pride Center. You can check it out at solanopride.org, and the address is 1234 Empire Street in Fairfield, California. Fairfield, known for the Jelly Belly Factory, which I am boycotting and have been boycotting for a while because the CEO said something transphobic or did something that was bad, and I'm like, no thanks. I can do without your jelly beans. Thank you very much. That's what I think about when I think about Fairfield. However, I'll be going to Fairfield tomorrow, so check out the show if you're up there, or if you feel like catching a good, good comedy show. I need to write some comedy. A lot of stuff I write is very political and sometimes not that funny. So I'm going to look for the humor in the tragedy. And we all know there's a lot of tragedy out there. So we'll look for the, the positives in that. So, yeah, and the show is tomorrow at 7 p.m. at uh, Solano Pride uh, Center. And that's, again, at 1234 Empire Street in Fairfield. Now getting to the few things. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. There's always a lot to share. Um, Amy Goodman uh, was talking about good things as always and i was going to share um uh, she was just talking about the lack of representation in the media and how even bernie who you know even if we're not 100 percent behind him like don't agree with 100 percent of what he says even he's not getting the uh, equal attention media attention that trump and hillary are getting and that's super problematic so let's listen to what Amy let's listen to what Amy has to say, and then here we go. Whether it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN, you often can't tell the difference. You're flipping from one channel to another, and they're all Trump all the time. It's Trumpland. It's called. This is called how the media is ruining the election. This I election. see the media as a huge kitchen table that stretches across the globe, that we all sit around and debate and discuss the most important issues of the day, war and peace, life and death, and anything less than that is a disservice to a democratic society. It is critical in an election year to hear how policies affect people on the ground, not to get the pundits, 
but to get the people themselves. They're bringing you the pundits, and this is true on all the networks, the pundits, who know so little about so much, explaining the world to us and getting it so wrong. The media manufactures consent for war, for candidates in elections, by bringing you more, for example, of one person, like Donald Trump. He is pumped into everyone's home. He can just stay in a gold-gilded mansion in New York or one of them in Florida. The rest of the candidates trudge from one state to another. Why does he get this unfiltered uh, pipeline into everyone's brain, into your eyes, into your consciousness. It matters. The Tyndall Center did a report in 2015. They looked at the whole year. They found Donald Trump got 23 times the coverage of, say, Bernie Sanders. They found ABC World News Tonight did something like 81 minutes on Donald Trump, and I think they gave Bernie Sanders 20 seconds. Bernie Sanders is breaking every record. It's the only reason he's getting any coverage right now. I mean, the media, he is shaming the media. In March, he raised something like $44 million. Hillary Clinton raised 29 and change million dollars. $44 million, that hasn't been done before. You break every record and there's a blip in the corporate media radar screen. It just shows how astounding it would be if he got anything near the coverage of the other candidates. Could you imagine where he would be right now? In this high-tech digital age, with high-definition television, digital radio, all we get is static. That veil of distortion and lies and misrepresentations and half-truths that obscure reality, when what we need the media to give us is the dictionary definition of static, criticism, opposition, unwanted interference. We need a media that covers power, not covers for power. We need a media that is the fourth estate, not for the state. And we need a media that covers the movements that create static and make history. And on that note, we're going to end up the show. There's another article that folks can check out. Maybe I'll get to it, maybe. Um, next week, it's it's long and I want to give it its due attention. And this also comes from The Intercept. And it's a why a British fight over Israel and anti-Semitism matters to the rest of us. And that's written by Robert Mackey. And it came out today. So I definitely want to get to that. Because uh, there has been a lot of conflation. A lot of people who assume that because one is anti-Zionist, that means they are anti-Semitic. And that is not the case. And folks can very much be anti-state and not be anti-Semitic. So that's a discussion that really needs to happen. So I want to read that story next week. Um, stay tuned. Next will be Global Val with Women's Magazine and uh, Mutiny Radio. Um, we're raising funds. Check out on the weekly review page. We have a, there's a fundraiser listed there as well as mutinyradio.fm, ways you can contribute. We also have spaces available, space available for rentals. If you want to do a show here, there's shows here every night of the week, um, every day of the week, uh, morning, Afternoon, evening, late night. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff happening, so come by in person and say hello. We're at 2781 21st Street, and give us a call anytime, 415-550-0511, and live streaming at mutinyradio.fm. So on that note, hope everyone has a 
pretty great weekend and speak up against injustice um, as often as you can and perhaps that will make a difference and I'll leave some folks with uh, some prints again and this is a really beautiful cover that usually I, I like covers but I'm also like eh. um, this is uh, from PS 22 um, the chorus kids from PS 22 and uh, it's kids kids are our future so they say so here's some really nice kids singing a nice cover of a Prince song. Uh, have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week. Chronic brain, depression, nausea, and get in euphoria and stimulate appetite. I'm gonna guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good. Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> ACLU of California reminds us that we have the right to speak out. Both the California Constitution and the First Amendment to the United States Constitution protect our rights to free expression. There are many questions we face when we decide to organize and speak out. Do we need a permit? Are there limitations? Or when or when can we not demonstrate? What about civil disobedience? For all of this information, please check out aclunc.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco.
Alex. Ed, can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> Yeah, you. You look like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Uh, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. Uh, I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts. You won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at Welcome to this week's edition of Regarding Sex. I shouldn't say week because we come to you live on the first and third of the month. And we welcome you. Obviously, it's the first Wednesday of the month. You're live with uh, at Regarding Sex from MutinyRadio.fm. This is your host, Will to Fly. Uh, my co-host, Spicy Spice, is on the East Coast for the month. So you'll be hearing from me uh, solo today, although we've got a very interesting uh, guest this this afternoon. And you'll uh, be hearing from Lulu Love and myself when we uh, reconvene on the third 
Wednesday of the month. So stay tuned to that. We've got some great shows, a little different, uh, more detail-oriented than uh, some of the ones we did in April, but uh, those were also the starting shows. So there you go. In any case, uh, we are going to have a guest in half an hour, and um, I do apologize for the late cut-in. Uh, it's a commuting country here in California, because we're coming live to you from San Francisco, California, and uh, I got bumped on the bridge on the way in, and nobody stopped, and so now I'm going to have to fix my car, because of course I pay for insurance, so then you never can use it, right? Don't we all? Well, we should have a, a show on that. Uh, at some point. Anyway, if you'd like to call in live, you know you can, 415-550-0511, or you can call, contact either one of us, uh, any one of the three hosts, Lululoves at regardingsex.com, Spicy Spice at regardingsex.com, or myself, Will To Fly, that's W-I-L-T-O-F-L-Y, at Regarding Sex, or you can look us up on uh, Facebook at Regarding Sex. We will be checking those throughout the show, so if you do have a question for our guests or a comment, please do give them to us. Uh, we will be, uh, I can even forward them. If, uh, if you would like to leave us a name and number, then we'll use that on the air, whatever name and number you do use. Um, so do give us a, a call, and if you'd like to hear a show or you have some uh, a story you'd like to, to read on the show, we do have a storytelling hour, and we do have an opening this afternoon. So if you have a really great erotic piece of uh, fiction or nonfiction, and you'd like to read it live, then uh, please do contact us. And uh, even if we can't get you on, we will have space for you in uh, some of the upcoming shows. In fact, uh, I believe that uh, one of the shows coming up here in the future will probably be just a storytelling show. It's, uh, it's kind of one of our favorite times. Um, one of our favorite parts of the show, mostly because we get to stand out in the lobby, socialize and drink while somebody else takes over the air, right? So it's like uh, free money, kind of. In any case, I am um, fully engaging, especially with myself. I think self-love is important. Self-radio is a little harder. So I will uh, probably ramble a bit more than I normally do, but um, you could call and take me off the air. That's the easiest way to do. 415-550-0511. If you're listening to the podcast, obviously that number only works on the first and third Wednesdays of the month from 8 to 10. Or you can come down. We do have a live sponsor. This is a live show. And a lot of our demonstrations and uh, our uh, fuckery, if you will, and just the comments or the readings are all done live here in the studio audience. So do come down and join us at any time. Um, uh, We're a, a listener-supported radio, so donations are greatly appreciated, but there is no cost for any of this. So come on down, watch the show live, involve yourself live, uh, and get to meet the hosts or the our featured artists. And uh, as you well know, we've had pretty much an author almost every single show, and that's been very interesting. So today, we're actually going to have the author of um, a new book, um, just come out and uh, you can get it to, it's already available for downloading i i noticed uh, i downloaded it on google today so i know it's there and um it's it's uh, pretty interesting he's got some interesting ideas uh i'd like to ex we're gonna explore some with him when he comes in it's somewhat uh, controversial some of it is brilliantly simple uh i think in its assessment but it'll be interesting to hear from the author and you can't do that unless you pay attention and listen in after uh after uh, eight 
8.30 tonight. And we will feature him for most of the hour, uh, so you will have some chance, uh, chance to get in or call or ask him a question uh, when that time comes. In any case, um, I want to also let you know that you can reach us if you have uh, if if you'd like to sponsor the show. Uh, we've had some interest in some of the more esoteric. Um, I hate I almost hate the word sex, not because it's not descriptive. I mean, this is regarding sex, but um, facilitators, toys, playthings. Uh, last week of uh, last show, not last week, but last show was 420, and we had some uh, cannabis, uh, cannabis oil um, uh, sponsors. And of course, as uh, any of you that have listened to Mutiny Radio in the past know, we were spo uh, sponsored by uh, Alta California, which is a large uh, medicinal marijuana company. And um, um, so, you know, we do have some uh, interesting sidelights. In any case, I was going to bring up the, um, I was going to describe a little bit of the author or the book. And uh, if any of you guys want to look it up uh, before or uh, um, kind of peruse it before you get on this show, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm going to allow you to do that. And of course, I changed my, uh, my um, Facebook feed so that I can't find it, right? Just when you're on the air, um, it's, it, it becomes un, unfindable. So just give me a second here, folks. And it's not that I won't ramble, uh, because I am capable of long spiels of talk. Uh, but so tonight we're going to have the author of Decoding Your Kink. And you can, that is available online. You can get it. Uh, I also know that the last show we had the author of um, the lesbian haiku book uh, involving cats. And I actually ran into her book featured at several bookstores in uh, Berkeley and Oakland over this last week. So congratulations there. Uh, at least it's getting some, some play. But um, we will have uh, Galen uh, Faust, who is a, reg uh, a therapist and um, obviously kink aware, and he'll be discussing some of his, uh, his um, beliefs and going over some of his case studies from uh, and, and why he's gotten some of the, uh, I would say, how do you say, uh, why he has... But what, what his opinions are based on. That's actually what I'm trying to say. In any case, um, and I also want to thank uh, House of Pride, which precedes this program. I have a feeling you'll end up seeing us with them in a crossover program at some point, just because they're more, more involved in the community, but uh, it is part of the community. So um, I'm glad to hope to have them at some point here in, in the near future. Uh, in any case, um, I'm going to uh, take a little, a couple of extra musical breaks just because we're solo today and set up for the interview. Uh, but uh, I've got a great soundtrack for you tonight, um, all involving sex in one way or another. So uh, one of my theme songs and one of the songs that I'd like to make a um, song on, well, actually start the show with, but because uh, I got a hit... I uh, didn't get a chance to find it before um, before the show tonight, but uh, one of my favorite songs is, uh, and we'll go over it in just a, a second here. 
is um, Strict Machine, which um, I think, oops, is uh, an excellent song. And if you think about it, it's uh, actually a kind of a kinky song too. Well, I, I think it's been some, somebody accused me of kinkifying everything in my life. Well, we'll have to ask Galen about that because I have a quick wit and it generally goes to sexual topics, which is probably why I co-host this show, huh? And produce it. So um, it will be interesting. Uh, I do have, I have, uh, I know that uh, Spicy Spice had wanted to be here tonight, but she has indicated that she's tied up. So she won't be coming on tonight. And then uh, the next show is probably going to be a little too packed for her. So, but she will be back on the first Wednesday of June. So the first Wednesday of June, and we already have uh, a nice lineup. I'll uh, wait and announce that a little bit later uh, in the month so that you know what to expect. But um, it was some people that we had hoped uh, we were going to have um, before the 420 show, but we couldn't do it. But they're so, but they, they have such a compelling story that we thought we'd uh, kind of fit them in again later on in the summer. So and, uh, without further ado, I want to play you a little tune.
Jay. There you go. I am. Um, I like that. Now, for those of you who don't know what a strict machine is, it's a uh, pulley lever. Um, a strict machine would be like a wedge, for instance. So I don't know what strict machine they're loving, but I encourage it wholeheartedly. You know, as long as it, uh, it as long as you're a sentient being and it doesn't hurt you, I see no reason to. Um, and you're old enough, but but who am I to make that judgment, right? Uh, I think they're finding out now that cognitive 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 reasoning comes later in, uh, in their 20s, and yet we send our uh, kids to war, which I think we're going to have to deal with uh, more seriously later on, or just make it so that only 50-year-old guys go to war. Uh, it'll make the wars a lot shorter, I think. Even better, 40-year-old moms, because I'm pretty sure they'd figure out they didn't want to beat each other up pretty quickly and uh, come out, but uh, I digress. Again, that happens when you're a solo on the air, and you have to fill a lot of time. So uh, anyway, I am... Um, we do have a new Sam set coming in, and one of the nice things about Spicy being here is uh, she does a lot of her own music. Um, kind of like putting her stories to music as well. So it's um, interesting that, uh, oops, that, uh, that, I mean, she's got talent, and it's interesting to see how, how people put that talent to use uh, in, in, Expressing their desires, not just with sex, but in all things. So, some of uh, some of them tell stories with music. Some of them tell stories with uh, with humor. Some of them tell stories to relieve the tension in their lives. It's uh, and and it kind of all comes through when when you start to do this for a while and you start to look at this and the people that you're involved with and how they got where they've got. Uh, so, regarding sex is really about exploring the sexual options that are available and demystifying them and unshaming them. And that's a big part of what we're doing. We're looking for consent and uh, shameless behavior that's appropriate. Part of being shameless is being conscious and um, ethical and, uh, you know, working, working out and then just letting yourself have fun without shaming yourself or presupposing. There is an interesting story. Um, I have children, a uh, wide range of children, but my older daughter is an adult now and married. And uh, we had an interesting conversation a while back. And one of the things that I noticed is, and, and this is hard for a lot of people to fathom, but when I was a, just a child, too young to know what was going on, but still a child, it was illegal to be, it was actually considered a mental, mental illness. Now, interestingly enough, it still is in some states of the United States to be gay. Nowadays, kids don't have any, uh, any I mean, th th that has, th they've kind of outgrown that, or they've grown past us. So the future president of the United States may have had a bisexual or cutting edge experience in their life expectancy. Just uh, just kind of like when Bill Clinton said he smoked a joint and didn't inhale it. You know, I guess he smoked too many cigars in his life. But then again, he put cigars to good use too, didn't he? 
I, th- I don't know that it was actually all that ethical at the end of it, but, uh, you know, um, nobody knows what went on and how it was uh, politicized afterwards. In any case, um, I do want to uh, acknowledge at least the fact that the, our kids are growing up. They don't have that overhead anymore. Uh, they've, they've come out of... Uh, somebody once, Somebody important to me said to me yesterday, in order to have a really legitimate edgy sexual experience. And, and so I want to stop and define that. What do I mean by edgy? I mean pushing your limits. Edgy could be showing up at a radio show and reading an erotic story that you wrote. Or it could be having sex with 15 guys at a party all at once. It depends on your level of ex- uh, experience or what you're doing. Um, but uh, I'm glad that my friend then said, you know, you have to come out of your head to enjoy this. And so much of sex is in your head, and it should be in your head. It's your biggest sex organ is your brain. So use it, control it, capture it. In, in uh, kind of my sexual proclivity, capturing somebody's mind is hugely important. That's what my turn on is. And it's kind of my propensity. But uh, you've got to come out of your brain to it when you need to and not think about what you're doing beyond what you are doing. In other words, it's very uh, in the moment. So, uh, and I do know, by the way, from uh, uh, re- uh, speed reading uh, Galen's book, there is uh, kind of a, he and I have a different philosophy, but it doesn't mean uh, I'm right or not, uh, I'm not right, but I'm looking forward to exploring how he thinks uh, I tend to be more transcendental and he tends to be more, well, that's not entirely true. I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying this and he, of course, is welcome to, to come in on the, when he, uh, when he's, we have him in the sh- uh, on the show here in uh, the next 15 minutes, he's welcome to come in and, and uh, explain more detail. But one of the things he does mention in his book is he thinks we actually ought to honor our, our uh, bodies or our corporal, corporeal beings a little more and not be so transcendental. I suppose if you're too, too one way or the other, that kind of makes sense, but it'll be interesting to ask him that question and explore it. So, uh, I do know that he called in, and uh, we got to get him set up. Uh, so again, because I'm uh, without a co-host tonight, I'm going to play a little more music. Typically, we take breaks every 20 minutes uh, and play a song or two, but I am actually going to um, do a little bit more music th- tonight just to give you a little break. And uh, frankly, uh, my son who's not an adult yet and tends to speak his mind, whether it's uh, it's appropriate, well, whether I consider it appropriate or not, would say uh, he likes it when I stop talking. Yeah, uh, who, go figure, right? You raise the kid, you give him candy, you don't make him eat salad, and then he comes up with that gem, huh? So, uh, but it is, uh, you can have kids if you're not conscious when you're having sex. I also speak from experience on that point, too. Anyway, another one for you. Oh, 
back live and on the phone with us from uh, Oregon is uh, Galen Faust. So I got that right. Are you there, Galen? Aha. We've got technical errors already. Hang on for a poke. Are you, can you hear me? Okay. And uh, I didn't know if it, it, I actually, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know why. How you doing? Are you back? Doing well. Okay. There you go. I'm sorry, uh, Galen. Uh, they've actually changed the board, so uh, I am. Um, I got the wrong mic button up. So, are you still with us? I'm still here. There you go. So, y you know what's funny uh, is a radio show is only as good as your engineer. <laughs> if he doesn't turn you on, you're not going anywhere. So, uh, so go ahead and uh, why don't uh, we were talking a little bit off the air while we're listening to musical break. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your book? It's on our Facebook page for anybody that wants to uh, click and look. And I, as I mentioned to the audience a little earlier, it is already available for download. Uh, I know from at least the Google Play Store. Yeah. Well, hi everybody. Uh, this is Galen Foos. I am a an author uh, of a book, recent book called "Decoding Your Kink." A guide to exploring, sharing, and enjoying your wildest sexual desires. Uh, I'm also a, a therapist that works with clients. I mean, you know, my focus on is, uh, you know, there's the term sex positive. I go by the current term kink positive and how I work with people who are trying to untangle their desire, their authentic desire for, in this case, some range of kink, which is a broad palette of what that might look like and untangle it from all the parts of them that have been afraid, resisted, were ashamed, or even traumatized uh, around sexuality in general, let alone their uh, particular desires. Uh, and I'm also a researcher, uh, and I have an ongoing research project called the Discover Your Personal Erotic Myth Survey that people can take. It's up on my website, galenfoos.com. That's F-O-U-S, uh, where you can uh, take this 40-question survey and, and really start to drill down into the more detail and the richness uh, 
about your fantasies. Uh, as well, I'll just throw this out since we're on what I do. I also created the Tetris portable, uh, three-in-one portable dungeon suspension bondage rig and sex swing. Mm -hmm. But I'm here mostly to talk tonight about this topic of, uh, in this program here called Regarding Sex, I understood from our talk earlier that it is about helping people uh, kind of, how do you bridge your everyday life with your sexual life, you know, in, in a healthy way. Right. That's really kind of the broader topic, and I, and that's what I my mission is around those kinds of things to bring sexuality up to the table as a legitimate topic of conversation and and to treat it like uh, any other part of the human personality. Right. And and I think a lot of what, as we discussed a little bit uh, when we first uh, met. Even people who associate and, and find us good human beings are, and uh, f um, com um, compassionate and empa uh, empathetic individuals have a tendency to look at the terminology we use and how we use it and how we interact with our partners and assume that uh, you know it's 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 easy for them to misrelate that uh, you, you know it's uh, again it's it, it's. I, I realize that there's a nomenclature that we all use within our tribes, if you will, and this is in many ways a tribe, but it's uh, it's actually not an unhealthy appetite, and it's not really about, uh, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I know, because uh, I've taken a lot of therapy in my life, and my therapist was Quinko Ware, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I don't play with somebody who's not healthy mentally physically and emotionally and it's it's not that they're not human mm. we're all human but that's a that's a big part of it and i think that's that's a, a lot of what you know we look at the 50 shades of gray which is in reality it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing it exposed uh part our tribe for instance to the general public but in a way that i i found was very demeaning uh you know he, he was uh, sexually a child who then took it out on or that was the, the assumption that was kind of portrayed in the books yeah so. well uh, you, those are all good points that you're bringing mm -hmm. up there uh, will and one kink is a complex sexual territory right. that's been little really explored and mapped and a lot of people step into it kind of uh, it's kind of like pioneering you know mm -hmm. uh, 200 years ago people went off to the wilderness and pioneered their way into these new territories and found all kinds of riches and there were also dangers and risks so you know so we're kind of at the stage now where the pioneers the vanguard are, are the ones who are out in the, the territory exploring alternative sexuality but what I was going to say is I, I'm not sure I, I'm not I get I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with you within our life uh, our lifespans or the or the or the generations around our lifespan but if you look at some of what you know uh, some of what the was evolving in the Roman Empire and the Egyptian Empire and some of the stuff some of the stuff that we're doing today they openly did back then but yeah, so this, this dimension has always been there but it's yes. never been this run and loose in the culture at large you know, uh, before with the internet, it just kind of caused this kind of, when I look at it, this unprecedented release of sexual arrows uh, yes. in which people are able to explore, you know, experiment through online, you know, anonymous ways. And then also that's led to tribes gathering, as you say, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of in all kinds of uh, new 
sexual communities of all sorts mm-hmm. uh, are emerging that all have been around for a long time, but they haven't been this prevalently mm-hmm. uh, examined and explored. And, you know, the, the mass at large community is, is pursuing sex like never before, I think. Right. Before it was always like the the jet set of every era, you know, where all yes. the decadent body, yeah. you know, wild sexual explorers. The masses were just, you know, under the church's harsh authority, at least in the European side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but this still is a emergence. This emergence now is still at a very mature, immature adolescent state. So there is a lot of recklessness and irresponsibility and. Uh, people don't know how to handle this uh, energy yet. So that's part of what I've been working on and exploring and researching is, is try to help build some tools that people uh, can step into these parts of themselves. These are erotic uh, creatures almost, you know, that, that want to come out and play in a healthy way. You know, so our culture has pathologized sex for so long that it's hard for people not to think of that there must be some, oh, these poor souls must have been damaged in some way. And that's yes. like you talked about with the Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, that's why they're into being a sadist or, uh, you know, wanting to tie somebody up or control them, whatever. Um, and so uh, and this is much the same as what was applied to homosexuality in the 50s forward, you know. Yeah. Oh, these poor souls, what could have made, you know, something must have happened to make them want to have sex with the wrong gender, you know, or right. something. Well, well so, the kink, ta- sorry, you talk uh, about in your, even in your own field, I, I brought this, I, uh, I imagine you're bringing this up because I actually mentioned it at the uh, beginning of the show. When I was a child, too, too young to do anything about it, but within my lifetime, Sex, uh, homosexuality was considered a deviant um, mental illness. Yeah, until 72, I think. Yeah, 72. Manual, yeah. Uh, it's still considered, legally in some states it still is, but the AMA actually called it a, uh, um, a mental illness until yeah. 72. So it's a little changed since then, hasn't it? Yeah, so and this is like, you know, these are coming in waves. So the gay and lesbian community really led the charge in terms mm-hmm. of taking this to a political level of where it was, you know, your civil rights uh, mm-hmm. are at stake. And I think the kink community is kind of going to be going down that same trail because we will get challenged, uh, depending right. on who gets elected next, especially mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being not made illegal. You know, right? In in many regards, well, it's, it is illegal in, in many regards in some states. Yeah, there is. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of ways people yeah. can still get in trouble. Uh, right. uh, in with the law, uh, even if they're consensually agreeing to do something, right. that that's totally right. uh, silly. But I think the important point here is that yeah, this is not a pathology. This is a innate, right. inherent, lifelong sexual framework that someone has, just like if someone is a homosexual or a lesbian Mm -hmm. or a transgender or whatever. It's not like a pathology. It is simply an innate dimension of Eros that we really haven't allowed, uh, generally as the mainstream culture hasn't allowed to have that kind of diversity going on. And and I I think one of the analogies I like to uh, look at is... I have many friends, they've been on the show, who are storytellers. They, they spin a yarn, it takes you on a journey, and it, and, it, and it sucks you in. Well, I have known in my life several uh, pathological, what I call pathological liars or con men, 
and women who will then take a story, make it real, make you feel it, and then take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. One, it doesn't make one right or the other wrong. They're both stories. It's, it's I think, more or less the intent, the... Yeah. Consciousness. So I that's what I teach that too. is uh, yeah. I have a practices and this is what I help work with people on is mm-hmm. people who want to take their sexuality out of the, out of the shadows, you know, mm-hmm. out of their dishonesty, out of their ways they've hidden it, snuck it, not been straight up with it, and who want to participate with it in a conscious, healthy way. That means transparency. That means nego- clear negotiation. Uh, you know, uh, there's no perfection. I mean, people can still make errors along the way, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's with the intention, I think, as you mentioned, to, you know, engage someone uh, in a way that's, you know, risk aware, uh, consensual, negotiated, and with things built into where you can stop, adjust, you know, check in mm-hmm. uh, all along the path in terms of uh, a scene. So, I think it's really what's lacking or what, what we have to work on more is get these tools out there that people can use to help them bridge this. Now, there's this thing you kind of mentioned about, well, there is there are people who are kind of uh, you know, moving more, doing the same thing in terms of, uh, you know, but they're the kind of the psychopaths who are operating with kind of a mean intent right. uh, versus... Uh, two people who just meet and want to engage, you know, oh, I'm a dom, you're a sub, oh, oh you like uh, you be tied up, oh, I like to tie up, you know, where you're just finding these mutual desires uh, mm-hmm. that are uh, commentable. I mean, this is kind of what's fascinating about the way that, that the fact that people can meet another person with the same kink. And I mentioned earlier, this is kind of a pantheon. I mean, the array of kinks and fetishes that are like if you go on fat life yeah the group all the different groups that are formed and they're all yes. populated yes you know it's Thousands like in the gene pool there are counterparts to every kink or fetish that has one side the other side is already in yeah. the gene pool and now with the internet these who uh, which has never happened before and these <laughs> would never have found each other hardly uh, ever before otherwise now people can actually kind of discover oh you too there's oh well, there's others like this yes you know especially for one of the more, more yeah. obscure oh, what a revelation that was for me mm. you know when when i thought, way. yeah well i i mean i, I agree with you I, I uh i i'm not really i've mentioned parts of this on the air before and, and most of my friends know it but i knew i was different from mm. the time i was 13 and i was aware I never was turned on by pictures. It was the stories that uh, found me. And I would look at a single picture and create a story. And the story mm-hmm. would go to being stranded on an island and have complete freedom. Now, when you're, uh, I think the, I was conscious of this stuff at like 11, 12, 13, that, that range. There's, there's no framework for that. Uh, I know you, one of the things no. you mentioned in the book is that we, we used to have tribes and the tribes would train the, the girls to be uh, nubile and women and, and the, the boys would also all have that training and there was no shame in any of that. You, you showed people, like riding a bike, you show people how to do it. Uh, uh, another example, even in a sexual plane is, um, I happen to like single tails, which is a, essentially a bullwhip slightly different depending on what flavor you're doing that is not something you want to use on somebody unless you've practiced a little bit with it because uh, it could do a great deal of harm but but even in the core value of just sex we i mean we're still fighting sex education in school 
or the lack thereof. Mostly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know that I'd call it sex education. I mean, I made sure my kids yeah, were aware. Yeah, abstinence education yeah. and shaming abstinence, yes. education yeah. and, shaming. and yes. fear education and all that. But I want to come back to this point about yeah. that kind of segues, dovetails with this idea of sex education, the importance of it. Uh, mm-hmm. is we lack as a culture the realization that Eros switches on for many before puberty. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no framework for that. It's not even a lot. It's like horrifying to even that I could that I would say that. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of for some people would totally freak out to even imply that. Uh, what mm-hmm. am I talking about? My child, it must be a child molester or something. But the fact is, I have this survey I mentioned earlier on the Discover Your Personal Erotic Myth. And one of the questions in there is, at what age did you first become aware of your erotic fantasies uh, in a distinct way? And uh, there was a, you could go from like... Uh, I think four to six, there was like 19%. Uh, seven to nine, uh, there was another 23%. And then 10 to 12, uh, there was another 30%. So that's kind of startling, really, from whatever the cultural norm in the sense of, well, sex doesn't occur till puberty or, or you know, sexual sexuality doesn't occur till puberty. But the truth is, is, uh, now, this was an opt-in population that took the survey. It's not a random sampling, so those aren't numbers. Percentages right, 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 I'm right, quoting right. about what is the general population's ratios. But in this population that took the survey, that was uh, a high percentage. Forty percent before the age of 10, uh, basically, were right. in their erotic fantasies. And then when I put it further... What age did you start masturbating to those fantasies? Uh, it maybe dropped by 10%, uh, but it was still, people were actively engaging their sexuality well before puberty. And, and there's nothing that we, we don't teach. Mostly those kids get shamed if they ever got caught, you know? Well, well don't uh, uh, ever do that. And so we do need sex education, and, and we need to educate the sex educators because even sex educational people don't really have much training in sexuality. So I remember my first sexual experiences had nothing to do with... with really me manipulating anything, but they were essentially wet dreams. And I remember mm-hmm. having them 